When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lyle, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Good to have you on the program. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Lyle, of course, is an author, a cryptid researcher, and a musician. A lot of books to his credit, a lot of stories to his credit. And, uh, Lyle, we want to start by talking about the Lizard Man stories. Tell us what the origin is and uh, what the legends are and what the sightings are. Well, that one is one that's kind of always interested me. Uh, You know, I've read plenty of cryptozoology books and often ran across an account uh, from 1988, in which a young man in in uh, South Carolina <clears throat> claimed that he was attacked by a an upright uh, reptilian type humanoid creature, and uh, he was near a place called Skateboar Swamp when he had a flat tire late at night. And uh, as he was finishing that up, that's when he saw the creature coming at him. Uh, through some through a grassy area, and of course he jumped in the car, and, and as he tried to get away, the thing jumped on the car and, and tried to get in. So uh, obviously a very sensational encounter, and uh, one that had come across my radar, like I said. So when I finished up my Vista Buggy Creek book, as I was looking for subjects to write about for the next one, I seem to like these sort of swampy southern stories, so I actually went out to the place where that happened in Bishopville, South Carolina, to look into the case some more. So um, you had, you know, that that initial uh, sensational encounter, which uh, was investigated by the police, that made the news, and there was a lot of media coverage that went on there in the summer of 1988, and of course, you know, as in many of these cases, other people had sightings, you know, after that date, and then others came forward saying that they had seen something fitting that description in the swamp, uh, you know, for several years prior. So it kind of built a bigger case that there was, you know, possibly something down there in the scape or swamp area. So uh, the cool thing about this case is that the, Sheriff uh, Liston Truesdale, who was the sheriff of Lee County at the time, he he sort of took the case seriously. Uh, Not that he believed necessarily there was a cryptid or a reptilian humanoid responsible, but uh, as he interviewed these people, he was sure that, you know, they did something happened, you know, and he didn't want anybody to get hurt, whether that was, you know, it turned out to be a bear or somebody playing a practical joke. No matter what it was, he wanted to follow through. So he actually uh, had a lot of the witnesses write down their statements at the time. And he, you know, the police were investigating these things, um, you know, as they occurred. So in, in some of these older cryptid cases, you don't often have police records that you can look look to. I mean, you'll have the newspaper reports and maybe you can interview a guy. But you know, I've got witness statements from people that, you know, wrote the encounters at the time. 
And Lyle, and what, and what you were saying, uh, the police officer not sitting there saying that he truly believed in it, but he wanted to make sure nobody uh, was going to get hurt, that, that of course, he needs to be extremely cautious on because the fact of the matter is, if it is somebody putting on a suit and doing this, let's be honest, you're in South Carolina. The people, uh, it's... If people usually are carrying something with them in, in some of these areas, and that could be a situation where they, they pull out a, a gun, some sort of a rifle, and shoot somebody that's in a suit. Oh, oh definitely. And, I mean, you know, I, you know, I interviewed Sheriff Truesdale at length, and it's also written in the papers. I mean, once these things started getting in the media, and, I mean, I'm talking serious media. There was uh, uh, CBS Morning News, uh, ABC was there, People Magazine, CNN. This thing was just off the hook uh, in the news. So that attracted a lot of, you know, yahoos down there who thought they were going to go in the swamp and shoot it. So you did have people out there with guns running amok, and it, you know, creates a nightmare for the police, uh, you know, and just on top of it being a, a monster case, you know. Well, and now this thing is reported to be seven plus feet tall and uh, dark, hairy, and scaly. Um, very similar to some of the reports that have been talked about uh, in Florida as well. In different areas, they've talked about seeing a lizard man, and it's similar to the same height and and look. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you've got kind of the Florida Gator Man type reports, and you know, there's some sporadic. Uh, you know, this reptilian-type cryptid reports from, you know, throughout North America. But, uh, yeah, in general, it was, you know, described as, as being, you know, anthropomorphic, man-like, and upright. And, you know, some people said it, they thought it was greenish uh, and had scaly skin. Some actually, you know, said it had hair and it looked brownish. So you, you just kind of have a... Uh, you know, sort of an enigma there on, on what is the true description. But obviously, like in most of these cases, you know, people see it running across the road. They see it in, you know, dusky, uh, poor light conditions. So, you know, you're not getting a, a very good description. And, and the kid who was chased, I mean, obviously he's trying to get away with his life. <laughs> not, yeah. not take a total assessment of the creature. So, But they're know, seeing, they're, they are seeing this thing moving around on two legs, standing upright, moving around on two legs? Yes, yeah, that was consistent through, throughout all the reports that it was definitely upright on two legs. Um, often in the newspapers, they would kind of mock it up, and, and they would draw a tail on it, and it would end up looking a little more like a dinosaur. But Yeah, like Godzilla, you know, yep. Yeah, you know, goofy. But, but you know, if you look at the witness statements, they definitely, uh, with the exception of, I think, one which said he thought it had a tail, uh, most of them described it, you know, as just upright, no tail, man-like. Okay. But there are certain uh, skin diseases in, well, that we, I, I've, I've actually dealt with some individuals who have it that can give the appearance of a scaly, extremely scaly, dry, scaly skin and, and change around like that. Um, what sort of evidence has been out there that you believe supports a lot of these claims? Well, uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, you can go with several theories as to what this might be. Um, when you're dealing with a, you know, a reptilian humanoid, you're you're getting further out on the, you know, possi biological possibilities. I mean, you know, when you're dealing with something like Bigfoot, you know, it's ape-like and it's it's plausible. 
but the yep. uh, you know the reptilian upright up reptilian it's it's further out there so you, you have you know it, it's more of a puzzle but uh, yeah certainly a skin condition a, a person with a skin condition is, is one explanation and there are definitely extreme that would I mean you would look monstrous and if I don't know why somebody would be down there in those swamps with that but you know stranger things have happened uh, oh yeah come on you know that as well as i do <laughs> so <laughs> exactly but you know and some of the reports when in my opinion is either uh, you know one of my one of my theories was that it could have actually been a bigfoot uh if it was in a swampy area if it was wet uh nighttime or you know it had or it had a skin condition, uh, obviously it would have looked big and it would have walked upright and, uh, you know, looked brownish and greenish at the same time it lives in the swamp. So it's not out of the yeah. question that we may be explaining one cryptid with another one. But, uh, you know, that was something. And then, of course, in these small-town cases, you always have the uh, people coming forward claiming credit for it you know it was a hoax that was me i was chasing the kid and um when you when you start dissecting those though it it doesn't account for the you know for the scope of all the sightings you know they no one ever you know it, it just didn't seem like it would be masterminded by somebody to have lasted for four or five years down there it was uh uh, not something that seemed to be a purposeful hoax, you know. Well, but there's always going to, there's always going to be the, those individuals out there who uh, will try to take credit for something, even though they had nothing to do with it, just in hopes of getting their name out there for 15 minutes of fame, and that that's going to happen no matter no matter where you are, whether you're in a small town or a big city, it, it happens. But but I do understand what you're saying, where it could be. Uh, you know, it very well could be a Bigfoot sighting just and just seen differently because its hair is all matted down. It's in it's in a swamp. You've got high pollen. You've got high uh, algae and all that stuff in the water. So of course you can get a greenish tint to the to the uh, to the actual hair. Um, yeah, the, it's plausible. Yeah, and I, and I always kind of stuck with the cryptid aspect of this case. You know, you know, as you know, when you get into the reptilians, you can kind of go off into the. Uh, you know, extraterrestrial or underground dwellers and things like that. But the fact was, it was really there was no UFO reports that corresponded with any of it. So you didn't have any, you know, any of that. So you kind of had, well, it's, you know, it's down there in the swamp, and it seemed mostly cryptid-like, and therefore, you know, the plausibility of it of being a Bigfoot is is certainly, you know, one of the uh, possible explanations. And Jimmy and I were talking about that actually before we brought you on and uh, the underground dwellers. Uh, there is a lot of reports of these weird reptilian type creatures that live underground and pop up just out of the blue and disappear as quick as as they pop up. And I'm sure you've you've heard many reports of those. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And they, now, you know, in regards to that theory, I did uh, investigate and research into the the possibility of caves in that area because, you know, obviously okay. if they live underground, they're going to need an exit. And, you know, I did not find, uh, there is not a lot of caves there in this particular area of South Carolina. So that was sort of a, so you are familiar with that sort of claim that's been out there for quite a long time, correct? 
Sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm while I'm more of a cryptid investigator, and obviously that uh, kind of starts getting into other territories. I'm definitely familiar with it, and you know, I I know in California that's kind of a you know a hot spot for that sort of thing, and so certainly in a case like Lizard Man, it's something to look into. You know, are there caves? Are there places where uh, creatures like that could uh, you know come out of you know from underground and there seemed to be no connection to any of that with these experiences no uh you know there's there's no extensive cave system down there in this particular area so you know while of course you know i mean there can be uh, yeah it just takes a small i would say it would take a small exit area so who, who knows but uh you know as far as as far as i know and there's no other connected uh, you know, no one's ever said it's come up out of out of the ground or went back into a uh, you know a, a cave or anything like that. So there was really no connections to that. They've just seen it mainly crossing the road and, and things like that. But uh, Lyle, you just said that when we start talking about these lizard men that may have an underground connection, uh, you said that moves us into different ter- territory. Are you talking about alien territory as opposed to cryptid? Well, I suppose. I mean, you know, you get into the David Icke and, and theories of shape shifting and races of, you know, a whole. I mean, as opposed, you know, a whole race of people who can manage to live underground or right. have perceived intelligence beyond, you know, uh, your basic uh, animal. So, you know, I think yeah, it, it does start to move into those areas where it, it kind of crosses over. I mean, I guess all subjects. I mean, even Bigfoot, you've got all kinds of theories. But uh, you know, for me, I just sort of looked at it as here's the sightings, here's the cool story, here's how it all developed, and let's investigate the possibilities of what this thing could be. And you know, not finding caves, it just sort of ended up, uh, you know, at a dead end there. So. Yeah. I want to get back to the police officer that actually uh, you you seem to have some respect for. Now, I just want to clarify, he didn't have a sighting or an experience himself, right? Right. Um, yeah, the, the Sheriff Truesdale, he was, uh, I mean, Lee, Lee County is, you know, a small uh, rural county there in, in South Carolina, and uh, he was sheriff there for many years. But he did have uh, some some extensive training, uh, even FBI training. So he was a qualified uh, police investigator, you know, not not just a total podunk town type of thing. And uh, the way he actually was drawn into this was kind of interesting because the first thing that came on the radar uh, prior to the young man coming forward about the attack is the uh, sheriff's office got a call from some folks who lived down by Skateboard Swamp, and they said, uh, we've had a problem down here. It looks like something has literally chewed up our car, like an animal has attacked our car. <laughs> so uh, Sheriff Truesdale sent a couple of deputies down there and said, oh, you know, check this out. Well, they go down there, and it, sure enough, this car is, is looks like it's been chewed up. There's hair and fur and tracks all over the place, and it looked very bizarre. So they called Sheriff Truesdale and said, you might want to come check this out. Uh, we don't know what to make of it. So when Truesdale goes down there and starts looking at it, you know, trying to figure out what was going on, you know, were the people trying insurance fraud, just what was it? And locals started gathering around, you know, you know, the police are there. And so 
uh, a few of them said, well, maybe it was the lizard man. And Sheriff Truesdale said, the lizard man, well, what do you mean? And that's when uh, they said, well, some folks down here have seen this brown or green uh, seven-foot-tall thing near the swamp. And maybe that's the connection. And, and so that was the first time Sheriff Truesdale had heard the the term lizard man. And that was just something that the people, you know, just a name that people had given it. Um, and that's when, uh, you know, he, he said, well, you know, I would like to know more about this. If somebody has seen it, please come to my office. And then it was a couple of weeks later when the young man, Christopher Davis, who had the incident where he was attacked when he had the flat tire, when he showed up and said something tried to attack him, then the police were like, okay, something's definitely going on here. You know, this isn't, uh, you know, the possibility that somebody's uh, trying something or, or we have a dangerous animal in the area, that kind of, um, put Truesdale on the case to, to, you know, pursue it seriously. Lyle, you may have answered this in the last segment, um, but if you did, I missed it. How recent have there been sightings of this creature in that area? Uh, the last sighting was around 1992. So we're looking at roughly from 1986 to 1992 is when the flap of all these sightings occurred. Now, within that, the strange and possibly connected or possibly not connected were the car maulings and incidents in which the police did find that it appeared that animals did actually damage these cars. Now, you had we had one of those as recent as 2011. And every time that happens, of course, everybody says, ah, the lizard man. Um, but but really, there's been no credible sightings um since the 90s, and uh, there have been people who have come forward with videos and other things, but, you know, I've looked into those, and they were definitely fake and, you know, just hokey, and uh, so there's really no credible sightings since then, so it's kind of a concentrated, very concentrated case. We had this massive media coverage. You had all these hubbub and the sightings, and the police were, you know, involved, and then it just... It just simply dissipated, you know. Yeah. Our guest is Lyle Blackburn. We've uh, spent most of this hour talking about uh, the legend or the story of the Lizard Man as the topic of one of his books. And uh, we were talking about the sheriff that was actually involved in um, following up on some of the reports of the sightings. Um, Did the sheriff, Lyle, ever write anything officially that would lend in your estimation, support to the the claim that this was some type of cryptid creature versus he just couldn't explain it? No, I I think he always kept the stance that, uh, you know, he's open to the possibility, but, you know, without, without seeing it himself, you know, he would, he would never come out and and say that, you know, it was absolutely an unknown unknown animal. And I, you know, I spent, I spent quite a bit of time because, you know, the way I like to do my books and my research, I mean, I went out there and I, I stayed in Bishopville for a while and I, you know, went to Sheriff Truesdale's house many times and we talked over and over about the case. And, you know, I felt, uh, <clears throat> you know, confident that, you know, he, he looked into it as best he could and he, he didn't make any judgments that, you know, 
he just only based on the evidence, you know, and he just never had seen it himself. And there had been some tracks that had been found, which he didn't find uh, all too credible. So based on what he had to work with, he couldn't say it was one thing or another, you know. Well, Lyle, uh, were there ever any pictures taken of the damage to the vehicle? Was there any uh, evidence gathered from that? Um, and even right down to I know that some officers like to just draw out uh, diagrams of uh, the damage created or, or anything over the years like that that might be able to uh, to help prove the existence of this? Well, there was certain, yeah, he certainly took photos of all the vehicles that were damaged. I mean, the first one in 88 and uh, the subsequent ones in the 2000s. Uh, you have plenty of pictures and, uh, you know, Sheriff Truesdale, I mean, he, he just had these stacks of photos of the scenes, the places where the stuff had happened. He took me, you know, on site and uh, so I, in my book, I mean, I have pictures of all that stuff because I actually scanned his whole okay, know, so, files. So it's in the book, but is it also anywhere online for just anybody to be able to view, or is is it mainly in the just in the book? Uh, there, yeah, it's it's out there somewhat because okay. uh, in in especially in the later cases, the news covered it. So you can actually find news reports like live news broadcasts that are on okay. the sites uh, to look at. And I've got a, a Bishop Elizabeth Facebook page where I've actually posted, you know, color photos and stuff where people can look at them, you know, better. Because obviously the book, I mean, if you, it's black and white. So, you know, it's a way for for me to post things that people can see. In a oh, great. Okay, so they can see them right on the Facebook page. All right, because that's something I, I was definitely interested in trying to check out. So so in those later cases, uh, you know, now we have the availability of DNA. So uh, the Sheriff Truesdale was retired at the time, but the sheriff that was uh, in office, he actually uh, ran some DNA on the car, and it came back as canine. Now, you know, some of the theories were that these could have been dogs, and people said coyotes and alligators. I mean, they had every every uh, strange scenario. But uh, the 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 people who said that the people whose car it was damaged, they said the reason they think it came back as canine is because there was some blood on there, and the neighbors' dogs had come over there and licked it. And so that obviously uh, contaminated the test. Uh, and even at that, many people thought there is no way that this type of damage could have been done by dogs. It just was simply too extensive. I mean, the whole bumpers ate up. There's pieces of metal bent, you know, eating. Well, the and I'm, lo I'm looking at the pictures right now. Uh, there's three of them on one of the, uh, the Facebook pages that you have there. And, uh, yeah, there's a white car that it just looks like something's been gnawing on. Um, uh, on the side, uh, there's also a blue caravan, which it looks like something's definitely scraped up the whole front and then a red car where, uh, some of the molding has been ripped off. So yeah, it, it's definitely, it doesn't look like something a canine would do, but then again, looking at it, especially from a guy who, who spent 15 years working on cars, I would think that something seven feet tall would create more damage than what is being seen on, uh, on these vehicles. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it, if it had the intention of tearing up a vehicle, yeah, it could definitely do more damage. And and, and that was the thing about the, it was sort of the bizarre aspect of this case. There was never a, 
uh, instance in which a car was beaten up and that corresponded with a sighting of the creature. You know, no, there was never there at the same time. So it was strange that you had these bizarre car things, and they're definitely, I mean, these people definitely weren't doing it to their own cars. I mean, they're, you know, fairly honest people, and it was investigated by the police. Um, so to me, it's almost not necessarily connected with the lizard man, but just puts this whole, just bizarre thing going on in Bishopville uh, that's recurred, you know, been recurring over the years. That uh, it's just a very strange mystery. So I never really thought it was the lizard man that did it, but uh, certainly a strange aspect. So, Lyle, as this story progresses, um, and you decided to investigate it to write your book, what were the the key components of witness uh, eyewitness accounts that you felt had the most credibility to them? Well, you know, uh, the initial case of, of Christopher Davis uh, saying that he was attacked um, and having, you know, discussed that with the, uh, the sheriff who interviewed him, you know, like he like he was, I was certain that something happened to this kid. I mean, there was no part about it that he was making something up. The kid was scared, something had occurred. So, you know, that put it into the realm of physical possibilities, um, you know, and then there was some, you know, the backstory of some of the people that came forward after the fact and said they had seen something. Uh, they were longtime residents and, you know, deemed to be uh, upstanding citizens and, you know, presumably wouldn't lie. Uh, that added to it. And then uh, for me, there was there was a uh, crop a guy who was a crop duster in the area, who saw it from his plane. And I was able to interview this guy, and I felt he was very truthful about it. Um, and then the witnesses who had seen it later that had made written statements. But that was the gold right there. I can tell you, those people definitely something came up into the road. Uh, and came at their car, no question about it. So again, it's you know, it kind of just boils down to it was a it was a strange creature, or it was a person in a a very good suit who had been down there for years, you know, per- perpetrating this hook, which just doesn't seem uh, plausible. So you know, based on those witnesses that had occurred over a you know, roughly a six-year period, I found that there was quite a few of those that were good, solid witnesses. And, you know, just for me, it's just a a very interesting story when you, you know, combine the sightings, you combine the the law uh, investigation, just the the whole story of it is is really a cool story, um, all in all, you know. Oh, absolutely. But now, also, is there certain areas that it seem, I mean, uh, certain times of the year that this seem, uh, it seemed more prominent for this thing to show itself? Uh, it wasn't, I mean, there's not enough sightings to develop too much of a pattern. Uh, it was somewhat sporadic, but it seemed like this, uh, over the spring and summer, that seemed to be the primary, uh, Times which, when it would which honestly see. would, when it comes down to being some sort of a, a reptilian or reptile in general, that would be more of the time where they would be out seeing they're, they're cold-blooded and they need to be out in the warmth of the sun, though most of these reports are at night, correct? 
Yes, all of them, uh, the, except for the crop duster. He saw it in the early morning hours as he was, you know, flying over the area. So, but yeah, generally at night. But in, you know, you're right in the warmest time of the year. Yeah, which would be the ideal time, though. Yeah, most reptiles uh, need usually sun to. Yeah, yeah. So it's de it's definitely it's it's confusing, and it makes you sit there and, and truly wonder what it could possibly be. Right, and and I'll add this. This was one thing I found when I went out there, and I went to the local. Uh, uh, there's a South Carolina Cotton Museum, and. Fortunately, the, the curator there is, takes a great interest in legends and, and even the Lizard Man case, and he had compiled some stuff. And I discovered that uh, in the area, when the natives, Native Americans um, you know, were living there, coincidentally, they had reports of a race of men, as they loosely put, uh, who were scaly and had tails. Short tails. They were. They called them sharp tails. These weren't like long, you know, reptilian tails, but some sort of a bizarre, bony tail formation. But basically, they described them as men who were who had scales and they ate fish. Now, this was something that had you know had to be uh, you had to dig to find this information. And it's very coincidental because the witnesses, for example, this young man, Christopher Davis, I mean, there is no way he would have known that uh, legends like that in the area existed. You know, if, if, for example, he's trying to make something up. It was uh, an aspect for me which was kind of eerie because you have these old, old reports dating back to Native American times that describe a very similar creature that that people saw in, in modern times. Right. Lyle, I want to change the subject just a little bit to you because I'm interested in as to how you got interested in chasing down some of these stories and uh, how long you've been doing it. Well, it's one of those things, you know, I've always had an, an interest in cryptids at a very early age. Um, I was always, I, I loved horror movies and things like that, but there was something about uh, when I first saw the Patterson film, for example, that really spooked me, you know, the possibility that a creature like that could be living amongst us out, out in the woods. And uh, sometime when I was young, I had the uh, pleasure of seeing a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek in a drive-in theater. And uh, that really hit it home for me because... Uh, I'm from Texas, and prior to that, obviously, the Loch Ness Monster is very far away. The Pacific Northwest is far away, but uh, the the stories from uh, Boggy Creek happened about three hours from where I lived, uh, just across the border into Arkansas. So uh, that was something that you know was always fascinated with. Um, fast forward years later, I started writing for a horror magazine called Rue Morgue, and uh, I was you know, I'd been studying cryptid for quite a while and they wanted to incorporate somebody who had that kind of knowledge. So when I started writing uh, for Rue Morgue and writing about cryptids, that's when I really started doing some more serious research. And uh, that's actually what led to me writing the Beast of Boggy Creek um, at the time. So, you know, I've always sort of been a, uh, you know, I've, I've grown up as a hunter and been in the woods all my life, but it, it really, in you know, only in the last, uh, you know, six to seven years that I've been doing this in a serious fashion, researching and obviously writing the books. So, um, 
you know, it's been sort of a process, a slow process coming around. Well, and for all the listeners out there uh, listening to the show, uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek, it was, a 19, it was made in 1972. They made it for about $100,000, and it's made upwards of $20 million uh, at this point in the, in the box office on DVD and so forth. And it's, it's a neat little movie about the whole Legend of the Boggy Creek, uh, the, the creature out there. So... I don't know. It's it's one of those ones that yeah you got to go in with an open mind and just just have fun. But it's it's neat. Lyle, how closely did the film Legend of Boggy Creek uh, stick to the actual stories and the sightings and the uh, um, firsthand accounts of uh, of that incident? Uh, quite close, actually. Um, the uh, you know obviously the movie it's a horror film and it does you know, dramatize the sightings and, and put spooky music behind it. But at the core, uh, the director, Charles Pierce, um, had seen, uh, in 1971, he started seeing reports of this so-called Falk monster, uh, who was being seen down in this little town of Falk in Southern Arkansas. And when he went down there to do the movie, he sort of started in with the idea of doing a documentary which kind of switched into doing a feature film but the way he did this was using in many cases the actual witnesses to reenact the encounters so this he, he was doing what you know we see on monster quest and, and countless other shows today but he was doing this filming it in 1971 and that gave the movie uh, a certain realism and uh, he really didn't have to make very much up because he just dramatized the sightings as the people had reported them. I mean, he kind of condensed it into a shorter time period, but ultimately it it did reflect what people had reported seeing. And for folks who don't know, and we have talked about the Boggy Creek uh, story on this program before, but for, for people who don't know what that story is, Lyle, why don't you go ahead and just kind of lay the groundwork? Okay, uh, it basically... Uh, in, in a nutshell, in May of 1971, a family who had come into Falk and they had lived there for about a week, they had come down there and moved into a rent house, uh, started experiencing some strange circumstance. Something was creeping around the house at night, uh, and from what they could see, they thought it was some sort of an upright, man-like creature covered in hair. And so this kind of culminated in into a Saturday night in which the the men uh, of the home confronted this thing and went out and uh, onto the porch. It ran to the woods and they attempted to shoot it. Um, then they went out to see if they had hit it, uh, looking for blood or any evidence. And at this time, uh, one of the guys, Bobby Ford, got spooked, started heading back to the house. And at that point, he was attacked by something, that, you know, conceivably this creature, and he ended up in the Texarkana Hospital. Now, this kind of leaked out in the news, and this became a, you know one of those media things. And uh, this, uh, similar to Lizardman case, it brought forth others that had seen it prior. There were subsequent sightings, and this, this was all going on uh, you know, in a short time period. And... Uh, the old timers who had lived there were, you know, they were sighting uh, 
incidents dating back at least a decade, if not two or three uh, sporadic sightings of a man-like, Bigfoot-like creature in the area. And the papers gave it the name the Falk Monster, named after the little town of Falk. And so Charles Pierce, the, the director, ultimately, of The Legend of Boggy Creek, saw this stuff in the paper, came down, made the movie. The movie came out in 1972, and it was huge. I mean, it had a lot of buzz, obviously, in the area. But ultimately, once it went on to play in the drive-in theater uh, and movie circuits and on television, like you said, it made millions. It was It was basically the Blair Witch Project of its time. It was that sort of real film and it scared many people you know in its way back in the 70s so that kind of made this a very famous southern sasquatch case you know i mean there's there's plenty of southern sasquatch sightings but boggy creek just had that ambiance and obviously a, a famous movie so um you know that was the thing and when i started researching to to write the book i thought i would be writing a historical book but what i found was that there had been sightings all along they continue and they continue right up until today uh that they just weren't publicized uh once the newspapers and everything sort of moved on you know the movie had played out and it just sort of faded but if you go into that town and like i did my research i found that uh, this is a continuing story that's going on. You're actually involved in uh, pretty much doing another documentary on the Boggy Creek Monster, correct? Correct. Yes, there's uh, I've teamed up with a film company called Small Town Monsters, who've done a couple of previous uh, cryptid type documentaries, and you know they put their sights on on Boggy Creek, so they brought me in as not only a consultant but to be featured in the film and of course I've you know been doing this research closely with the people of the town so um, you know I was facilitated basically uh, the making of the film and it's it's going to be called the Boggy Creek Monster and it's set to debut uh, later this year so we're, we're very excited about that and in some ways to me it was sort of like our, uh, an updated Legend of Boggy Creek. Now, while we're not making a horror movie, the whole case is spooky unto itself, and even a documentary kind of has that that vibe. So it's it's kind of come full circle that I'm I'm sort of immersed into the legend now, so to speak, which is amazing. <laughs> now, the, the Small Town Monster series for for folks who've been listening to the program, we had Seth Breedlove on the show. I think it was last week, and he's the director, writer you're talking about, Lyle, who uh, his first feature film, I believe, in the series was The Minerva Monster. We talked about that last week as well. So you said the Boggy Creek sightings continue basically up and up until today. And, um, you know, I guess the big question is, is is, is there photographic evidence? Is there anything that's, that's um, showing up because of the advancement of technology and the fact that people have smartphones in their pocket that can take great pictures that is, that is helping uh, substantiate anything? of this or are we still relying on just personal accounts yeah we're still at personal accounts and that's that's one of the odd things about this case there's there's never been a photo now i've heard rumors of there of you know some some i chased down these leads so and so's got one and you know a game camera i never have come across one so unfortunately you know there's never been any photos now that being said you know, any any sighting that happens up there, I'm pretty much involved in it and have investigated uh, 
some really, really good ones over the last couple of years. And in most of those cases, um, they were locals who it, it just wasn't really feasible to get a photo. Um, you know, these, it was a, a situation, it was dark, it was quick, it was this or that. And so I can kind of see why, at least in these cases, you know, they're not able to, you know, pull out a smartphone, open the app and get it up there and take a picture, you know, in a poorly lit area. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully somebody would come up with a photo. There's been footprints, you know, we've got, we've got footprint casts and things like that. So there, there is some, you know, circumstantial outlying evidence such as that, but no photo today. Have you spent any time actually, whether it's in the woods or wherever you would actually go investigate to try to get a sighting of your own, do you do that as well? Or, or, or do you uh, kind of keep yourself to talking to the others who've had an encounter and documenting those and, and writing the books? No, I do. Yeah, I do go uh, to areas myself. I mean, I've always been kind of an outdoorsman and, and do enjoy getting out and certainly would love to have my own sighting. And so, yeah, I mean, part of part of my scope is investigative journalism where I interview people and document these things and write the books. But at the same time, I do go into this area. And of course, I live close to Falk and I'm, I'm you know, just a total geek on the legend of Boggy Creek. So I've gone down there and I've located all the places that were in the movie. I've been in the woods, all up in, all in those bayous, Mercer bayous, uh, Sulphur River. So I've, I've immersed myself in, in that environment and, you know, hopefully it, you know, it may pay off one day with my own sighting. I don't know if I'm, if I'm lucky. Well, I've got to ask you, we've, t- we've talked about Boggy Creek Monster. We've talked about Lizard Man. What other stories or legends or sightings or whatever you want to call it are on your radar that you're kind of keeping tabs on these days? Well, um, I've got, I've I've just actually completed a a manuscript for a new book and that encompasses a wider range of Southern Bigfoot stories. So, uh, you know, I suppose primarily I've been following, you know, Bigfoot cases all across the deep South and, uh, and done that for years. It seems lately uh, there's there has been some strange, like actually lizard man type sightings that I've followed here in in Texas. There's been a couple, oddly enough. And uh, lately, looking into some of the dogman sightings, I just recently uh, participated in a in a event in Ohio called the, the Dogman Symposium. And so I've always been interested in in the sort of a dogman phenomenon so i've been looking into some of those so there's there's always you know a long list of cryptids i'm looking into definitely now is there a long report of uh of sightings of this lizard man in the texas area is this just something new that just came out uh in one case uh just you know sort of a a brief sighting in southeast texas a woman had in which i'm still trying to follow up on that one um but there was another one that at first seemed to be uh more urban legend so to speak it, it was a sighting which was more in it was a small town but it was still more in town and uh my actually myself and tim gerhard uh, one of my uh, cryptic research friends here from texas we we went down to this small town looked into it and 
uh, it turns out there was more to it. So there was multiple people that a sighting of a creature that um, we're still trying to find out if it's, you know, again, if reptilian, is it a Bigfoot, is it something else? But people were calling this 911 operator who actually uh, got in touch with me and told me the whole story. So um, we've been down there once, and, and we're going to head down there again to follow up on this because, like in any of these cases, when you go to the town and you start talking to people, you know, one person will refer you to another. So we're kind of piecing together the story, but it's definitely a, definitely a, a unique one in that, you know, you just don't have – uh, a lot of lizard man type creature sightings in Texas. There's just not a lot of long history of that. So it's interesting to hear any of those. So we're, we're kind of following up on those right now. I want to know more about the stuff you do for Rue Morgue because you mentioned it's cryptid related, but it's a horror magazine. Is this fiction or are you writing about real life accounts? No, it's, it's real life. The, the way that kind of worked in, in, like I said, I guess in some ways, especially because my first book, The Beast of Boggy Creek, also you know, involves a cryptid-based horror movie. So having known the guys from Rue Morgue, you know, like I said, I'm fans of the horror movies, but also knowing the aspects of real-life cryptid cases, it uh, was sort of a perfect thing for me to review, which is often a glut of uh, Bigfoot horror movies or just uh, cryptid-inspired horror movies because, I, you know, I can I know the aspects of both sides, the, you know, the, uh, the actual cryptid cases. So, uh, in my, in my column in the magazine, I do write about just literally cryptids. It's not fiction. You know, I just, it's just a chance for me to sort of, uh, talk about cryptids and that subject to an audience that, you know, probably doesn't know as much about cryptids, although they're very interested in, in them for the monstrous aspect. But, uh, I've I've been writing a putting together a book. Rumor is doing a series of library edition books in which I get to explore uh, the gamut of the influence of cryptozoological creatures on cinema, which is is kind of cool. It's just that merging of uh, the real life encounters influencing uh, you know film. So. That's, you know, one of the things I like to write about, and, and was nice to have the opportunity to do a book yeah. uh, through Rue Morgue. You said that you were a horror movie fan, and obviously working with Rue Morgue would indicate that that's true. Um, have you seen, and do you have any fondness for any of the recent films that have been released? Because there seems to be a, a rash of found footage films related to Bigfoot hitting <laughs> Netflix or some of these other, uh, you know, um, streaming uh, channels. Uh, have you seen any of those, and, and do, do you think any of them have a real handle on, on what the Bigfoot thing's all about? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, I've definitely seen them. It's just it's almost part of my job is to have to view these, and yes, right. most of them are horrendous, and, uh, you know, some of them are based on reality, some are ridiculous. Some of the better films that I, I like uh, have been ex- exists directed by Eduardo Sanchez. That was one that I saw was, that I, th- I thought was pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely well done, uh, well crafted. Now, you know, the reality of it, you know, you, you've always got to have sort of a angry Bigfoot, and you know, you do have some of those accounts. It's very, very similar to the Legend of Boggy Creek, and I think that is a good film that was well done. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, of all people, directed a. Uh, 
one called Willow Creek, which is sort of another uh, found footage thing, and it's on the subject of Bigfoot, quite a different perspective, which I thought was fresh and, and different. Um, let's see, there was a new one called Stopping Ground, which was uh, pretty good. Um, then there's been just like Bigfoot War, which is totally horrendous so you just get the gamut hey lyle you've been all over the place looking for these things you've um you said you haven't had any experience i think with the boggy creek monster itself but have you had any success anywhere we you've actually had firsthand witnessing something like that or are, are you still relying on most of the uh, the encounters that other folks have had yeah for visual encounters yeah i've, I've never seen anything uh now, I, I have heard a howl, which currently can't be identified. It was myself and, and the guy who does a lot of uh, research with me, um, and, and that was in the Boggy Creek area. And it was a howl that, uh, you know, while I can't be sure it was the creature, I'm, I'm fairly positive it wasn't anything that uh, can be identified. So right. that was one experience. And we've also found... Uh, a part, what we believe might be a partial track. It was partially in the water, uh, but appeared to have toes and and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's been a couple of close calls like that mm-hmm. uh, that have, have come about, but, yeah, no visual, nothing visual so okay. far. Well, let's go to the phone lines. We have Jay in Florida who wants to share uh, a question with us. Jay, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. You're on with Jason, JV, and Lyle Blackburn. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Great, thank you. Good. Welcome to the show. Okay, so this is a question for all three of you, more so your guests, but I didn't know if you guys would have any knowledge of it. I was wondering, let's say since we entered the time of, which to put an exact time on it would be suspect, but of revelations, and so let's say we're in the middle of the six or seven seals now, which I know, according to someone, um, when George Bush was in office, that was the probably the second seal with the red horse to uh, put a perspective on the time. But I was wondering, since that time, and especially more so since they uh, pretty much supposedly opened the gates of hell in Switzerland earlier this summer, I believe it was in June, uh, if there's been a rise on any of these creatures that have been seen or other maybe interdimensional beings or things literally from hell, and especially even worldwide, because I believe that it's going to affect elsewhere more than so here in the U.S. and the Canada, because we are, uh, as they say, the children of the Father, and where the light still is, and we're probably uh, Babylon, and Babylon will fall, hmm. and that will come after it has worldwide. Like, the Queen has came out, you know, and she has said, and, and this is, there's YouTube videos, and there's an article about it, she has literally admitted she's not human, and you have to deal with it. Well, great question, <laughs> well, uh, Jay. Let's see what... Yeah, go ahead, well, Jay. For, you know, first off, and it's funny that you say that because I've seen a bunch of reports on, uh, you know, o- Obama not being human and the Queen, and uh, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But I will say that with with your question there, um, I have over the last two years seen more claims of demonic type haunts and uh, or just violent type hauntings than I have in the twenty some odd years that I've been involved in the field prior. Now. Are they are they all legit? I cannot I cannot say yes or no on that, but I can say that the amount of calls that I've been um, sent to by the church has has skyrocketed. Um, the amount of 
uh, emails or or people trying to make contact with me uh, due to the negative type hauntings um, has skyrocketed. So a lot uh, a lot has really changed in the last couple years. Now, as for I didn't know if you guys were going to hang up. I wanted to ask you. Had you guys tried the thing with uh, where you put the magnet to the third eye to exercise people and cleanse them? Are you familiar no. with that method? No, I'm I'm not. So and uh, and I have not. No. Okay, I did that to myself after actually hearing it on Coast to Coast. A guy called and said anyone can do it, and I did it, and I've done it twice, and it is amazing hmm. how well it works. Hmm. Okay. I want to get Lyle's take. Yeah, I want to get Lyle's take on the caller's question. Um, Jay was kind of. I mean, we've heard the alien cryptid connection, but now we're talking about a religion cryptid connection. Do you, anything uh, ring true about that to you, Lyle? Um, I mean, you know, it sort of lost me at the revelation stuff. But I mean, just I mean, talking about a possible increase in sightings. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it does seem like there is an increase in cryptid sightings, but, you know, it could literally be because of the Internet. I mean, the you know, the ease in which people report and the right. fact that nowadays you're not necessarily considered crazy. I mean, everybody seems to have seen something. You've got, you know, shows like Finding Bigfoot that say, you know, a lot of people have seen it. So I, I, I don't know, but... Uh, there's been a lot of sightings of uh, a recent flap of dogmen sightings, and dogmen seem fairly um, spooky. And you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know that, yeah. that that's one thing. But who knows if it's connected? But yeah, yeah. definitely, uh, there seems to be a rise of sightings. Jay, does that help you out at all? Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Jay, and, thank and you for the, for the call. Yeah, and the thought-provoking question. That was a great question. Thanks so much. Uh, Lyle, before um, we let you go here, because we don't have a whole lot longer left with you, where can people get a hold of more information about you, more information about your books, and your other projects? Uh, the best place, place would be to visit my website, which would be lyleblackburn.com, L-Y-L-E blackburn.com. Uh, and from there, you know, you can jump off to some of my other sites. It's obviously... Uh, got uh, links to my books there. Um, my books can be found on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, and uh, they come in Kindle and uh, ebook and all the all the flavors thereof. Um, I've also got a site dedicated to the Boggy Creek case, which is Falk Monster F O U K E Monster dot net. Um, but all those you can ask, access from wildblackburn.com. So definitely visit there, and if you have had an encounter that you'd like to share or pertinent to my research, definitely send me an email. Well, and Lyle, you're going to be at DragonCon uh, this uh, the end of this month, correct? Correct. Yeah, I've got some yeah some appearances coming up. Uh, be a guest at DragonCon, doing some panels on cryptids, and that's like September second through the fifth in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, following that, a uh, end of September, there's a Bigfoot conference in Honeybee, Oklahoma, and then the big 15th annual original Texas Bigfoot conference on October 15th. So, uh, well, that's good stuff coming up. Thanks, Lyle, for joining us on the program and sharing your stories with us. Um, we really appreciate the insight and your time. Definitely. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, let's go to Tim in Pennsylvania who wants to uh, discuss uh, what Jason was talking about, uh, the sonic boom or whatever the noise was near ha Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Tim, to the program. Well, how you doing? I mean, I, what I'm calling about, I wanted to see if I get any more information about this because I live and I work right in this area. Hmm. Oh, really? I haven't, I haven't heard nothing. You hmm. haven't heard anything on it, huh? 
No, and that, my friends and everything. Like we have our own power. We had a, I had an old, my own paranormal group and everything. And wow. I have actually I'm working right up near the uh, Wilkesbury Airport right now. Security doing. And like I said, I heard you say that on the radio, and I'm like, what's going? What, what time was this about Sunday? All right, so it was at 12.15 a.m. Sunday. Residents across Hazleton area reported experiencing what sounded like uh, and felt like a sonic boom, rattling windows and echoing like an explosion. Um, according to a bunch of residents out there, they, they were calling the uh, police departments and uh, uh, the fire department and stuff of that nature. Uh, they say the noise went viral on social media, drawing... Uh, Theories and concerns from residents as to what might have caused such a boom. Um, well, it's so weird because at that time we had really bad weather. Because I left mm. to go up to Williamsport to work. I was I work. I work security, security. and I, I left to go to Williamsport around, around that time. And it, the it, weather was so bad up here. Like, is, is there a certain part of town that they part of the town that it's in, or was it part, like you said windows got broke? Well, no. They said the they said the windows, the windows were uh, were rattling and uh, the whole houses uh, were shaking, and it was mainly in Hazelton. I received an email from a lady, Angela, who says that she she heard the boom, the whole house shook, and it sounded like it came from the ground up. So, but it's interesting that you're you're saying that a, a big storm was starting to come through because yeah, one about of the, that time, and it's kind yeah. of weird that if anything was in the air, the Little League World Series in Williamsport, it, they actually canceled. The Louis World Series or postponed it to, to, to yesterday, Sunday, hmm. um, and well, they have the blimp in the air all the time. But when I when I got to Williamsport, that blimp wasn't in the air because of the weather. Well, and Hazelton Fire Chief Don Oleshko said that we've heard people talking about this explosion, but there's nothing that we're sure of at this time. And uh, so, but it makes me wonder if you're saying a storm was coming in. Of course, there's always the possibility lightning hitting something, whether it be a transformer creating a large explosion. Because one of the thoughts uh, somebody said was they were wondering if it was a, if it was a transformer uh, that exploded, creating that sound as well. So they really weren't sure because nobody had any details. But I'm sure if a transformer exploded, you'd know it because tons of houses would be without power. Right. And the goofiest thing, like, I didn't hear thunder, but, I mean, it really stormed, because I was on my way up to Williamsport around that time. Hmm. And, and like I said, I haven't, no one has any said, that, said anything to me yeah. about anything. Well, and many and local residents... I hearing about this, but... It also says that many, many local residents were also citing the smell of sulfur, something common in a methane-related incidents. So, now, let me explain. There's a lot of mines out here. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of construction and all kinds of stuff going on here yep. on 81. 81 actually goes right through on the other side of Hazleton. I don't know what's going I mean, last night when I came up to work, I got off the Pittston exit. It's right before the, uh, the Wilkesbury exit. And they have, like, all the – there's, like, a bunch of construction. I mean, I, there's – I imagine on a Sunday afternoon, nothing would be going on. I mean, that's just kind of strange. Well, remember, it's not a Sunday afternoon. It's it's a Sunday night Monday at twelve twelve fifteen a.m. So it's just it was just after midnight that it happened, and uh, some of the thoughts are that you know, oh, sonic, sonic boom from a, a yeah sonic boom from a uh, from a plane, a meteor exploding in the atmosphere, a high tension power line breaking, um, and also some people say that possibly uh, an ignition of methane gas a gas pocket at a site of the Jeansville mine mine fire I guess burning underground I, in Banks I know Township. That's, that's towards the the east side eh, I, I would highly doubt that would be that now you're saying at 1215 
Sunday more. It would be early Sunday morning, like over yeah. from Saturday night into exactly. Sunday morning. Yes, twelve fifteen a.m. Sunday. Sunday morning. Well, that at yeah. that time there was the weather was calm. Oh, Joe, I, mean, I was yeah, actually so. up. I lived about ten miles from Hazleton South, and I didn't hear a. I didn't hear mm-hmm. anything. And and Tim, you said you you're part of a paranormal group. I was, and we wish I'm still with the Pennsylvania UFO Society. With oh, Butch okay. I don't know if you know Butch. Everybody usually knows Butch when they talk about. I've it. heard of Butch, um, but you're with the UFO Society, so you guys kind of have your fingers on the pulse of any um, extraterrestrial or UFO uh, sightings or reports in that area. I would imagine. Uh, yeah, we're on. Well, I just tried to call him, and I guess he's sleeping. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I was waiting to find out, but like, I don't know if he knows anything. I talked. I just talked to him last night. And he didn't mention anything. Yeah, you know, it, we'd be really interested in knowing if anybody in that UFO group in your area has any more information about this. So, um, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. I leave here at seven o'clock, and I'm off for three days, and I want to jump on this story like quick. Yeah, yeah because what, because like I said, because I, mean, I, 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 I it doesn't make any sense at that time of night. Yeah. Uh, even you said about the the mine over there, they wouldn't be. I know my one friend, his dad works there. Where you're saying, like yeah. I know this whole area, and I, I'm connected with all these people. Well, and that's so it's the thing. Weird. It's it's, it's like I, that. that doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, like you're saying, you didn't hear anything, but this lady Angela who who sent me an email uh, says that she had heard the boom, her whole house shook, and it sounded like it came from the ground up instead of the uh, the sky down. But there's also it's made it to the point where the Hazelton Fire Chief Donald Leshko uh, actually had to respond about it because they had gotten so many calls on trying to figure out what what had happened, uh, and they're just not sure. So. It's well, weird. If, be, you, if it, you don't have an address to that lady's like place, because like Hazelton's kind of really sparsely out. Yeah, I mean I, that, that way we could have like maybe, maybe we could have get a location on that. Yeah, you know what? Well, I'm sure she, she must be listening to the show right now because I talked about it. If she wants to email me her address, fine. But uh, yeah, and we could go from tell you, there. Yeah, but. tell you what. Um, don't hang up, Tim. We'll have um, okay. Slick Eddie or Alex get an email address or something from you. Okay, and, yeah, um, definitely. You know, if we, and I'll jump on this in the next three days, and we'll figure, we'll try to figure out what went on here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we'd love a call back if you find out anything on it. Oh, de- oh definitely, definitely. That's great, right. Tim. We appreciate you calling in very much. All right, thank you. Okay, so that's interesting. So Tim is actually part of a UFO group in the Hazelton, Pennsylvania area, and at this point, he hasn't heard anything from any of his other group members. But that, how do we know that Tim wasn't abducted? It's not really Tim now. It's an alien in uh, his body, and he's covering the tracks. See, that's that. See, that could be the problem. That yeah, could be. We're gonna we're gonna have to have some kind of alien detector test on these phone lines. <laughs> <laughs> how do we do that? Oh. All right. Well, it's about the end of the program here, and we want to thank all of our uh, callers and our guests, Lyle Blackburn and uh, Slick Eddie and Alex and uh, all the people in the chat room. Thanks so much for making it another great night of Beyond Reality Radio. Thanks for listening. It's Beyond Reality Paranormal. We'll see you next time. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. And another great program lined up. Jay, tonight we've got uh, Lyle Blackburn. We're going to be talking cryptids, one of our favorite topics. Yeah, and I'm really interested also in the uh, the whole story behind the lizard man. I guess we'll take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll bring Lyle Blackburn in, and we'll talk cryptids. Hey, gang, it's JV here. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Beyond Reality Radio. Some of you are new to the program. 
And some of you have been with us for years. And no matter if you're interested in ghosts, the UFO phenomenon, conspiracy discussions, or any of the other topics we explore on this program, we do it for you. Our goal here is to help find answers to some of the world's most enduring mysteries. And as we continue to bring you interviews and discussions each night, it's important that we get your feedback and even more importantly, your support. The media landscape is forever changing, and as it does, we need to be able to change with it. That's why it's important for you right now to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Once on YouTube, just search for JV Johnson. You'll find it there. Subscribe. It's all free, and it'll make you part of our global community. In addition, Beyond Reality Radio is available as a podcast. Go to your favorite podcast platform and search for Beyond Reality Radio and subscribe there as well. And finally, we have an archive program that you may enjoy as well. This show can be found on major podcast platforms, and it's called Beyond Reality Paranormal. By supporting us in one or all of those places, you can be sure we'll be able to continue to deliver quality shows to you, no matter what form the media landscape takes. As a paranormal historian, I promise you the best and most entertaining conversations as we continue to hunt for the truth 